Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, Talking in the Dark. Even Jesus didn't always get what he prayed for. What happens when what we want may not be what God wants? Join us for the message, Nevertheless. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, even Jesus did not always get what he prayed for. So what happens when what we want may not be what God wants? Well, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in our message today. Everyone is always welcome to visit with us in person. If you are fully vaccinated, masks are optional. If you're not fully vaccinated, we do ask that you please wear a mask, which we will be happy to provide for you. But all are welcome. Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Fellow traveler, you meet us as we walk the roads of life. You reveal to us the great mysteries of your love and the depths of your grace. Open our ears to hear your words and open our hearts to burn with your truth. Stay by our sides in this world and the next. Amen. We have three scripture readings this morning. The first comes from the 22nd Psalm, beginning with the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night but find no rest. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning in the 36th verse. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here, and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot be done unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Our final reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, 15th chapter, beginning in the 33rd verse. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Jesus knew that coming into Jerusalem for that last time was a risk. His disciples had warned him. His Pharisee allies had warned him. Even his mother had begged him not to go. He was becoming too well-known, and the powerful priestly caste would have the motivation and the means to arrest him and even to arrange to have him executed. After the commotion that he had made the other day in the temple by overturning all the tables of the money changers, he knew that he would now be in their crosshairs. Yet he felt God's unmistakable call to take the risk and to make that trip into Jerusalem. He didn't know exactly what would happen. He knew his death was a real possibility. But all along, he knew he was born to be Israel's Messiah, even if it was going to end up being a very different kind of Messiah than what the people anticipated. Jesus also knew that within Judas was growing a heart of darkness. On that last night that he spent with his disciples, with his very closest friends, Jesus already knew that Judas had made a deal to betray him. Now, Jesus could have run away. That very night, he could have slipped out of town, and he could have been miles away by daybreak. He could have run from that cup that he was poised to drink. But instead, he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And he also knew that Judas would know right where to find him. And there he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then a few moments later, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. We'll cut to the next scene where Jesus hangs from the cross. And despite his most fervent prayers, Jesus has been made to drink from that cup down to the very dregs. And in his pain, his anguish, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lemasabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' anguished cry from that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it's one of the most poignant lines in all of Scripture, and it's also one of the most honest lines in all of Scripture. And I think that line shows Jesus' humanity, perhaps more than anything else that Jesus ever said or did. See, after a lifetime of unbroken communion with God and utmost service to God's kingdom, Jesus now seems broken and confused. He is an intense physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. And I think the only other line of Jesus that comes even close to communicating that same kind of vulnerability is that plea he made from the Garden of Gethsemane. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's one of the foundations of Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully human. And one of the New Testament passages that is often quoted to support this doctrine comes from the second chapter of Philippians. And there it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Christ was in the form of God and was equal to God, yet he acquiesced to become human and died a very human death on that cross. So in Christ, God chose to become human and to accept the limitations of human existence. Now, on on that point, most Christians throughout history have agreed, but there is disagreement, however, on just how limited Christ was made by his human form. Now, some would argue that Christ still had access, full access to divine knowledge, that Christ knew the future. He knew exactly when, how, and why he would die. And if you follow this logic, logically, linearly, then it is true, then presumably, then he would also be familiar with all scientific knowledge. So we can assume then that Christ knew about atomic theory, that Christ would know about the double helix structure of DNA, that the earth actually revolved around the sun, which was one of billions of stars in the galaxy, which is one of trillions of galaxies in the universe. So if this is true, Jesus would not have been surprised by the gorgeous pictures we saw this week come from the new James Webb Space Telescope. I would argue, however, that as a part of emptying of self that came about as a result of the incarnation, this included the fact that then Jesus would be bound by the limitations of human existence. The Lord of creation may know all the mysteries of the universe, but Jesus of Nazareth did not, at least not while he walked this earth. If Jesus had a human brain, which he did, then by necessity he had limited knowledge. For a human brain, this three-pound mass of matter is simply not capable of computing or comprehending infinite knowledge. This, to me, is a very important theological point, and, and the reason I, I, I go on to make this theological point, because I think it makes a big difference about how we interpret the events of Jesus' life, particularly here at the end of his life. If Jesus was fully human, complete with a human brain, then Jesus was unable to know or to predict the future. So when Jesus threw himself down to the ground at Gethsemane, He did not know for sure what was going to happen next. Now, I do think he realized he was in great danger, that he risked arrest and execution. I think he knew that he was called to be there at that point and at that time. But as a human, he was not able to know for sure if he would die or actually what was going to happen in the next few days or how they would unfold. And so this is why then that Jesus did pray that this cup could pass from him. Because a person who could predict perfectly the future would have known exactly how everything was going to play out and that therefore such a prayer was a waste of time and a waste of breath. On the other hand, if Jesus' knowledge of the future was sometimes as clouded as our own, then his desperate prayer is one in which we can more readily relate. 
Jesus' cry from the cross becomes our cry whenever we try to make sense of our own suffering. As Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he adds a phrase, though, that I think makes all the difference for whenever we pray. Because he says, he prays, "My, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he prays that second phrase, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. It's this nevertheless that I think that changes everything. It's Jesus' willingness to follow God's will wherever it may lead that puts his prayer, as human as it is, in a wholly different context. Nevertheless is the word then that can keep us praying even when everything else within us wants to stop. When we pray that nevertheless let God's will be done, we are affirming three fundamental truths. Number one, praying nevertheless forces us sometimes just to face reality. There's more to life in the unfolding of creation than our immediate wants and desires. Despite what we may desperately want, we acknowledge that there are higher goods and greater goals that may be more in line with God's will for our lives and God's will for this world. You see, God sees so much more of the big picture than we can possibly ever see. And God's ultimate desire is for love and righteousness and justice to prevail and that all creation will be redeemed. So our nevertheless prayers are our affirmation that we desire what God desires and that we trust that God will indeed, in the end, work everything together for good. Disease and devastation and death will not have the last word. Because the reality is that we continue to live in a fallen and broken world. Our prayers, I think, do many times lead to healing and deliverance. But over the course of a lifetime, we're never going to be able to escape suffering, and we're certainly never going to be able to escape death. And the time is going to come when the only healing that is left for us is spiritual, and the only deliverance that remains for us is death. We've all known people who manage to survive and function under extremely trying circumstances. I was reading, I was reading a two-year, three-year-old uh, edition of Reader's Digest this, just this week and was reading about um, a woman who was, um, now I can't remember which branch of the service she was in, she eventually retired as a general. But back in 1991, her helicopter crashed in the deserts of Iraq. And when she woke up with two broken arms and a a bullet in her shoulder, she was looking up at five Iraqi soldiers with their guns pointed at her. And she spent the next week um, being subjected to a mock execution, being subjected to sexual assault, and thinking she was going to die and continue to be a prisoner. And so we look at such persons, and yet she was able to 
eventually physically and emotionally recover from that. And we look at such persons and we say, how does a person like that find strength to go on? Because I'm not sure I would have had the strength to go on if I had had to go through what she went through. Well, the author Steve Harper says this, when life is going well for us, we do not have to depend on capacities intended only for this going through deep waters. When the sun's shining, we don't need to have every light on in the house. But when the darkness overtakes us, a certain grace comes to illuminate our way. There is a quality of life given to us when we must face terrible situations and deal with circumstances that we cannot change. When we pray, nevertheless, we affirm, though, that faith. The second fundamental truth about nevertheless praying concerns the necessity of embracing the revelation. Because we can see over and over again in the Bible how God's will and God's actions bring renewal and rebirth into human history every time. And even in the midst of suffering, God comes to us and God is revealed to us and God's presence is with us. You think about the Bible's first story, that very first human couple they eat the, tr the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, bringing sin and alienation. But God does not abandon the new creation, but offers grace, providing clothing to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Sin is going to remain, suffering will remain, but it will not be allowed to have that last word, and God will work to redeem creation. Later on, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, yet God sends Moses to bring the Hebrews out of slavery, and prepare them to go to the promised land. But as we have been, those of us who are taking the pastor's Bible study, we've been reading through the Torah. As soon as the Hebrews get out into the desert, they immediately want to go back to Egypt. They immediately start worshiping. Right after they've made a promise to worship the Lord alone, no sooner have that out of their mouth than they are worshiping a golden calf. And even later when they get themselves established as the nation of Israel, they continually over and over and over again fail in their covenant to worship the Lord as God alone and to live out God's law. Yet after every act of unfaithfulness, even after defeat as a nation, even after exile, God works to restore Judah, restores the temple, and then when that darkness of a Roman occupation arrives, God comes to earth in the form of a little baby. And even when evil seeks to destroy Jesus on the cross, God raises Christ from the dead to sit at the right hand of God. So again and again, God does not eliminate suffering, but God comes in the midst of suffering, seeking to save and to restore. And God enters that picture with a nevertheless to evil, death, and suffering. Third fundamental truth. Our nevertheless prayers point to, uh, our nevertheless prayers point us to our need to respond in faith and in ruthless trust. Again, Steve Harper writes, when we accept the reality of life and embrace the revelation of God in the midst of it, our praying becomes a powerful response enabling us to face what comes our way with profound trust. As it so often happens when we talk about prayer, 
we come back to that eighth chapter of the book of Romans and we come to realize that nothing else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God will always have the last word, and that last word is always going to be love. As Jesus hangs from the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why did these words fall from Jesus' mouth? Did he, in the end, lose faith in his Father? Did God indeed forsake him? Now, many have sought to explain why Jesus would have said this from the cross, why he may have felt forsaken. One common answer is that while on the cross, Christ carried the sins of the entire world upon his back, and in that moment, the God of righteousness and justice had to turn God's back on that sin, thereby abandoning Jesus in that moment. But that's not what I think. I think a much better answer and most biblical scholars agree with that. In that moment when Jesus was in such intense agony, he was actually professing his profound faith in God. You see, Jesus was deliberately quoting from Psalm 22, the first verse, which Wesley read earlier. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Now, though Jesus only quoted from the first verse directly, I think he meant to refer to the entire Psalm 22. It's kind of like if we were trying to refer to or allude to that famous speech by Martin Luther King, we may just simply say, I have a dream. And everyone would know that we were affirming all of the sentiments that, that King expressed in that speech. And I think likewise, Jesus was affirming all of Psalm 22. Both that feeling of being abandoned, but also the affirmation of faith that occurs at the end of Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. Jesus was also affirming that from the cross. So when we pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, we're offering an echo of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane and of his cry from the cross. We acknowledge our own wants and desires, which I think we should be absolutely honest in every aspect of your prayers. Let God know your wants and desires be honest with God with our own pain, and yet offer, offer, also offer ruthless trust in God that all things will indeed work together for God's good and loving purposes. We're confessing that there are greater goals to be accomplished in this world than simply the fulfillment of our desires and needs. And we begin to enter then, I think, that place where peace 
that place of peace which passes all understanding. And I'd like to close with these words from the author Victor Hugo. Have courage for the great sorrows in life and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously accomplished your daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Amen. I'm going to have another prayer exercise for y'all this week. I want y'all during the week to go, as you're praying, to tell God exactly what you want, all the things you want, and go into detail. Talk to God about why it is that you want what you want. What are the deepest desires of your heart? Um, But not just the deepest desires of your heart. Even talk about smaller things that you would like to happen. Just be honest with God about all your wants and your needs and your desires. But once you've been completely honest with God, then just add, nevertheless, your will be done. And I want you to be doing that during the week and doing, adding that to your prayers. And so now, with the confidence we have as the children of God, let's pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now receive this benediction. God's arms enfold and protect you. God's word inform and inspire you. God's love infuse and transform you. God's spirit flow and empower you now and always. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, Talking in the Dark. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.